Well, I want you to stand with me. I want to finish the message that I started the Sunday before Mother's Day, and we'll do a quick recap of the first point that I preached, and then we'll get right into the second message. If you're watching online or if you're here and you haven't heard the first message, all you have to do is go to our website at woodland.church, and you can watch any of the messages there and get the full message from the first message that I did here. But this is the same passage, and we'll review the point. Then two from Emmaus told their story. These were two disciples that were discouraged. Jesus had been crucified and buried. They didn't realize that he had risen from the dead. They're walking along the road, and they have a surprise visit by Jesus. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them, Peace be with you, he said. Why don't you look at your neighbor and let's say that right now. Peace be with you. Vic, peace be with you this morning, my dear brother. So the Lord says, peace be with you, and the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now, start, stop. If suddenly Rocky showed up in this room and said, peace be with you, he would also say something about, almost said the Wolverines, he would also say something about Michigan State's, you know, it would scare all of us, and rightfully so. But Jesus shows up, so you need to get this, this feeling in your heart. I mean, this is beyond what they could have ever expected. Jesus is alive. And he asks them, he says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure I am not a ghost. I want you to touch Jesus this morning. I want you to feel his touch. I want you to know that he is more than a name. He is your everlasting, ever-loving Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's give him another hand of praise. I mean, I want you to experience that today. He said, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And still they stood there in disbelief, but they were filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him some fried chicken. And he ate it there as they watched. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, Father, would you do just that this morning? We want to experience you. We want your presence. But would you fill our hearts and minds with faith and help us to understand so that we can logically, we can powerfully, and we can persuasively share the gospel as we live out the gospel in our everyday life. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated. Well, our first point was simplify, and I told you the story about Billy Graham and President Carter sharing the platform along with a truck driver at a, at a big Southern Baptist convention. And President Carter wrote in his book, he said, the truck driver was so nervous that he leaned over to him and said, I am so scared, I am so nervous, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get up and share because I'm sitting here with the press of the United States and I'm sitting here with, with Billy Graham and they want me to talk. 
And so the truck driver followed Billy Graham after Dr. Graham had made such an eloquent presentation. Then the truck driver came up and he shared and received a standing ovation as he told about how Christ saved him and how he was ministering to other truck drivers now. And then President Carter stood up to speak. And he, President Carter said, after the service, what everybody was talking about was not Billy Graham, and it was not my speech. It was that truck driver's speech who simply shared what Jesus has done. Your story really does matter. Can you say amen? So we need to simplify and not try to complicate the gospel or complicate the story, and you don't want anybody else's story but yours. So we looked at this point from Hebrews chapter 12. Strip down, start running, and never quit. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, never quit. Say it like you mean it, never quit. Never quit, no extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Say, we're going to finish this race to your neighbor this morning. It doesn't matter how well you start, it matters that you finish. We want to finish the race, so we want to finish the race we're in. So how do we do it? Study how Jesus did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. And then just to kind of seal this to us, Jesus told us, don't be so concerned about perishable things, and he used food as an example, like food. Don't be so concerned about cars and clothes and houses and things of that nature. Your Father loves you. Your Father in heaven is going to provide for you. And so he says, simplify, get rid of the distractions in your life so that secondly, you can focus on who God created you to be, uniquely you the man, the woman that God created you to be. When you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, and I, I have to be honest, when I did commit my life to Jesus, and Becky and I were talking about this last night, I really didn't understand all that that meant. I really didn't understand all that it was doing. I knew I needed my sins forgiven. I knew that I believed that Jesus was who he said he was. I knew all of that. But one thing I don't guess I fully comprehended is that life is a race. You know, I like to watch the Olympics, and I like to see the sprinters, but when it comes to life, life is an ultra-marathon. You, you run for a long time, and it's not unlike, it's not unlike, according to how Jesus tells us, it's not unlike being a baby in life and then maturing in life. When you're a baby in life, it's amazing how rapidly you grow. I mean, I bet some of you right now, you're thinking about your children and how quickly they grew, how tiny they were, and how quickly they began to grow. Now, imagine if you continue to grow all of your life the way you did when you were a baby, we would need a pew per bottom this morning. Is that not correct? Uh, they have, as a matter of fact, they have absolutely, since I became pastor of this church, I received a study this week, you need to consider the size of bottoms differently than you did 20 years ago. Well, that caught my attention as a pastor, and they says, the average bottom in America since 1996 has spread six inches. That's not good news, is it? And you didn't come to church to hear that, but I bought Pastor Mark in here and said, Mark, we need to do something. So we sat next to each other down several of the pews so we could get a measurement. 
And I'm not going to tell you what we finally came up with because it dramatically reduced the seating capacity of this church from what you see on those little signs when you walk out of the door. So everybody get on the Daniel plan so we can put more people in this congregation. Okay? Now, what I'm getting at here is, is that you grow real fast as a baby. When you start out as a Christian, you grow real fast. You, you begin to read the Word. You begin to memorize the Word. You learn how to pray. Maybe you learn how to journal. You learn the importance of coming to church and worshiping together. That's the reason we call new Christians baby Christians. But one of the things at Woodland <laughs> we've always tried to stress to you is Understand that you've got a long haul to go. Focus on the long-term thing. And so we don't try to get square pegs into round holes. If suddenly we don't have anyone to fill a ministry anymore that doesn't have that gifting and that calling, we put that ministry back in oil. Because we're looking for people that that's their passion, that's their spiritual gift, that's what they want to do. I was talking to an attorney this week who was asking me some questions about how we did ministry at church and so I just told him what I told you, and I said, the thing we're trying to do is help people excel in ministry so they love what they're doing, and they're not doing it begrudgingly. Some of you may have had mothers and fathers like I did who would say to me, you ought to join this club at school because it will look good on your college application. And maybe you didn't want to be a part of the chess club. Maybe you didn't want to go downtown and feed the hungry. Maybe you didn't want to pick up trash on a Saturday. Maybe you didn't want a, a business internship. But your parents kept saying it would look good on your college application. And so what that's called for people who work on those sorts of things, that's called self-esteem curriculum vitae. In other words, we're putting things that make us look good, even though it's not what we enjoy in life. And sometimes Christians get caught up in that thing. We feel obligated, or we feel like it will make us look better or look good if we're doing this. It's why we have Discovering My Ministry here at Woodland, our 301 class. It's why we have that class to help you discover how God has shaped you. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, and your experiences so that when you as a round peg or in a round hole or a square peg or in a square hole, suddenly you are fruitful and you begin to do so good. We don't want somebody creating a fake curriculum vitae. We want people who are living as passionate followers of Christ. Christ-centered living, kingdom living. It has the purpose of Christ. It has the character of Christ. That you have the love of Christ. You have the grace of Christ. And you're serving for the glory of Christ. How many of you sang for the glory of the Lord this morning? Could I see your hands? Just lift them up. So I was singing to glorify the Lord. We used to sing a song when we come to church and said, I came to glorify the Lord. I came to glorify the Lord. I came to lift his name up on high. I came to glorify the Lord. It's why we sing. It's why we minister. It's why we serve. You see, by living this way, when you serve in the character, the purpose, the grace, the mercy, and for the glory of Jesus Christ, suddenly, you don't need me up here saying to you, come to Jesus. You don't need me up here saying to you, I want you to experience the presence of Jesus. But when you live authentically the way God has shaped you, you begin to experience the transcendence 
that sense that you're a part of heaven, that your home is in heaven. You begin to experience Christ. You begin to experience what you were created for in life. And living this way not only gives you joy, but it gives you meaning, it gives you purpose, it gives you power, because suddenly you are making a difference in life because you're doing what God called you to do. So yesterday, somebody asked me a really good question, and they asked me this, what's my role? What's my role? Well, my role can be summed up in these next two verses of Scripture. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and, 13, and verse 13. God's Word says, as a matter of fact, read this with me, focus on reading the Scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Now, Paul's writing this to young Pastor Timothy. So let's look at what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to focus on reading and studying the Word of God. You should too, but I'm supposed to make that my life's focus. I'm not a politician. I'm not a neighborhood organizer. I'm not a mechanic. But I am to focus on reading the Scriptures so that I can present them and preach them to the church. To do what? To encourage you and to teach you to encourage you. I want you leaving church feeling better than when you came into church. Have you ever gone to a church where you walked out going, ooh, I need a shower? You know, you just, ooh, I am so terrible. I am so horrible. And you want to do a belly crawl out of the church. The Bible says that to the believers were to focus on reading the scriptures, to the church, encouraging them and teaching them. Now, here's your role in Matthew 6, 6, according to Jesus. You need to find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. In other words, God just wants you to be real. He wants you to be honest and just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. Why do you think Jesus says to you and me when we pray we need to be there just as simply and honestly as we can be because God probably has had a tummy full, a belly full of people who go, oh, thou great and almighty and glorious, transcendent God who dwelleth in the heavens above. Is that the way you talk to your father? No. He just wants you to come in simply and honestly Prayer is not complicated. Somebody recently said to me, he says, would you help me write a public prayer? So I helped them write a public prayer, and they go, that's it? I go, yeah. They says, there's no words in there I can't understand. I said, that's not the way prayer is supposed to be. Really? And that's the kind of prayers they were used to hearing pray publicly. God says, be there simply, be there honestly, and then if you're doing that, you're not focusing upon complicated words and complicated form. Your focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. How many of you want to sense the presence of the Lord this morning? Can I see your hands this morning? How many of you would like to sense His grace where God gives you what you and I don't deserve? Let's give him a hand of praise for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. You say, well, Pastor, how do I know when I'm experiencing the grace of God or the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life? When the devil whispers to me, it's called temptation. When the Lord whispers to me, it's called inspiration. 
How many of you know the difference between temptation and inspiration? I shared with you how during our 40-day fast that one of the men of our church, that I won't call Chad's name, but he gave me a chocolate payday, and he says, I just want you to kind of keep this before you so that uh, you know what's coming when the 40-day fast is over. I looked at that thing. I lusted over that thing. Every once in a while, I would rub it and say, I can't wait to have this payday. And so after the 40-day fast was over, I ripped that thing open and I ate it. I want you to know a chocolate payday does not compare to a regular payday. And Chad, it went into the trash can. You know, you want the real thing. Remember that song, Baby Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing? There is nothing that can be improved upon Jesus. There is nothing that can improve his grace. There is nothing that can improve his love. I want Jesus for my family and for your family this morning. Let's give him another hand of praise. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noontime. Jesus all day long. Recently, I was preaching somewhere else, and after the service, this handsome, tall man said, may I speak to you for a few minutes alone? And I said, of course. And I had been praying that people would give their hearts to Jesus. And, and so after the service, we were talking. And I thought, I'm going to get to lead this man to Christ. And this man then proceeded politely, very kindly to say, you know, you really should be more inclusive in your talks. I think if you were more inclusive, you would reach more people and just try being a little less Jesus-y. It's just too much Jesus in what you're talking about. And I looked at him, and, and I was really, you know, biting my tongue. And I said, listen, thank you. I am really going to think about what you said, and I have. I am going to work at trying to be sure that everybody, because Jesus died for everybody's sins, your sins and my sins, but there is no way I'm ever going to be less Jesus-y in my life. It's Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when I go to bed. And when I die, I want him to sing Jesus is the sweet sweetest name I know at my funeral. <laughs> Hallelujah. I wasn't being belligerent, but people need to know Jesus is not about Jesus. He, he's our Lord. He's our Savior, and he's our soon-coming King. He's coming again one day. Well, somebody shout hallelujah in this place. <laughs> Amen. So let me just give you kind of a tip. All of us need to have a quiet time. But when you have your quiet time in the morning, do what I do. Just lay your phone or your iPad out in front of you and review your schedule and say, Lord, is there anything on this schedule I need to change? Is there anything I need to add today? Pray over your day. Just commit your day. Commit your children, your wife. Think about what you read. That's what meditation is. Meditation is not about emptying our mind. It's about thinking through. And pray out loud. It helps to pray out loud. Pray the scriptures out loud because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not as important that you read a lot of scripture as it is that you read a few scriptures that really speak to you and you pray them out loud. And I would suggest if you're prone to this like I am, I write down my, what I'm praying about every single day and a lot of times I'll just go ahead and write out my prayer there. But pray out loud and the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to be like him. Look at what Deuteronomy 10:31 says. 
He's your praise. He's your God. Can we read that together? He's your praise. He's your God. One more time. He's your praise. He's your God. You ought to memorize that verse this week. You ought to make it personal. He's my praise. He's my God. The praise of my lips. The Bible calls that the sacrifice of our lips when we bring to him the sacrifice of praise. And the third thing that I would suggest to you, if you really want to discover the wonder of how God's created you, is learn to connect. Learn to connect. We're all going to have short-term problems on this earth. Jesus never promised you easy street. And when I wrote that line this week, <clears throat> I, I, I sat there and suddenly, do you remember Annie when Carol Burnett saying that? Easy street, do you remember that movie? I had that going over and over in my mind. Jesus never promises this easy street, but he tells us we're gonna have short-term problems in our life but we're gonna have long-term glory when life is over. We're gonna experience victory in this life for God has made us more than overcomers. But in this life, this ultra-marathon, remember it's not a sprint. I need a team to run with me. I need support. I need encouragement. I need a team that along the way refreshes me. I need a team because I can't make it to the end without my small group and without my prayer partners. There's an African proverb that says, to run fast, run by yourself, but to run far, run with other people. If I want to run fast, then I do it alone, but if I want to go the distance, I need people in my life. Not only the pastors and the board, who are my friends and my prayer partners, but I need people in my life that I can do life with, that know me and encourage me. I want you, please look at me this morning, I want you to run this life. I want you to run it as fast as you can, but I don't want you to burn out. And neither, and this is a word to some of the others of you, neither do I want you to rust out because you're sitting around doing nothing. I want you to be ablaze because God has put potential, God has put ability, and God has put people in your life to help you run. Some of you know Beth Gilday. Beth, who was a member of our church and now lives in Grand Rapids. Beth is a, she is 90 pounds of pure muscle. Beth is just a little bit younger than I am, and I won't give her age away, but Beth is an ultra-marathon runner. What that means is Beth runs 200 and 250 miles at the time through places like the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. She is a marvel to behold. I have run with Beth. Matter of fact, let me rephrase that. Beth has slowed down so that I could run with Beth before, okay? She is just a marvel. Her husband, Kevin, one of my best friends who went to heaven just a few years ago, did everything he could to make Beth successful. Some of you might remember Kevin because it was his company that came in and provided security and communications for our events. But Kevin... He spent his life just making her successful. He felt like that was his ministry as well as helping out around the church. But I recently texted with Beth and asked her about running. Now, this is what Beth says. Hi, Pastor. Running is just to be in the moment. The focus is on the right here and the right now, and the larger world is irrelevant to moving forward. Afterwards, it's usually total depletion and total peace and there is no energy for anything other than just being. 
I think in some ways that describes what life was like for the apostles. I think in some ways that's what it's like for the modern-day martyrs of the church. They totally ignore the rest of the world because they know that their witness and their testimony is going to cost them their physical life. There is no easy street for them. There was no easy street for the early church. But Jesus was fully present to them. And they ran this race starving. They ran this race beaten. But they experienced the total peace, the physical depletion, but the total peace of being alive in Jesus Christ. Are you following what I'm saying there? And then I asked Beth this question is followed up with her. I said, Beth, when you, do you pray while you're running and do you have a team to support you? I absolutely pray while I'm running. Often the focus is gratitude. Everyone at the event is a part of the team, the volunteers, the crews, the runner, the community members, and many lasting friendships are made out there. Understand this, the apostles didn't suffer by themselves, the early church didn't suffer by themselves, and today's modern martyrs are not suffering by themselves, and neither should you try to run this race alone. We need need to be connected to one another. We are the body of Christ. Somebody say amen this morning. I am grateful for the body of Christ. I am grateful for the local church. And if I'm truly grateful for the church, then God doesn't say to the pastor and God doesn't say to the congregation. God says to all of us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34, excuse me, 24, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. Circle that word in your outline. Think and circle the word help. I am to think about you and I am to help you. You should not stay away from the church meetings as some are doing, but you should meet together and encourage each other. Do this even more as you see the day approaching. John Crace, who's sitting right here in the middle of the congregation. John, wave your hand for those that don't know you. Stand up, John, so everybody can see you there, buddy. John, as you know, is going to Estonia as a mission. I didn't say do the whole boxing thing there, John, but that's okay. You are a champion. John is going to Estonia because John wants to make a difference, and he's raising his funds. He's raising his, his support. If you haven't uh, made a monthly uh, faith promise to John, do that today. You know, you don't need the Holy Spirit to tell you. I just told you the Holy Spirit wants you to support John while he's overseas in Estonia ministering. But John's not waiting around. John recently started a college-age student uh, ministry, and they've been doing things. John is connecting with people and connecting with others. Now, i got to be honest with you. When I first met John, after he gave his heart to Jesus here at Woodland on an Easter Sunday, sitting right about where you are there, Mr. Sheridan, he, he gave his heart to Jesus. He was kind of shy, and he was kind of timid. But the Holy Spirit has something done something in John. I don't recognize this John from that John. When John gave his heart to Jesus, he was like a baby. He began to grow very fast. He began to really grow, and now that he's growing, he's maturing, and he's helping others to grow, and he's thinking about others as well. Friends, I would give anything for 12 young people like John than 1,000 people who are willing to be comfortable and rest and rust out rather than do anything for Jesus. Because with 12 people full of the Holy Spirit who want to help people find Jesus and grow in Jesus, you can turn the world upside down just like the early church turned the Roman Empire upside down. Somebody say amen again this morning. Hallelujah. So why do some of us quit growing and why do some of us get stuck in a rut? 
I think it's fear. I mean, you see what John is doing, you go, oh, I can never do that. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe you're not a round peg going for a round hole. Maybe you're a square peg or a star-shaped peg. But we'll help you discover that. Some people fear they won't measure up. Some people will fear they'll fail. And so many people just simply stop believing. Back to Beth. Beth was running one of those hypermarathons. And there was this, this older man that was running with her, and they came across a young man. He was sitting on a rock. He was vomiting. He was pale. He was sick. And Beth and this older man stopped to help him. And Beth and, and Keith were telling me about, uh, Kevin were telling me about this after it was over with. That old man looked at him and said, Now, fella, you can sit there and puke and cry, or you can get up and run and puke and finish this race. Which is it going to be? And so he ran the rest of the ultra marathon with them, and they helped him puke along the way and finish along the way. You may puke along the way, but I'm telling you, if you get connected with the body of Christ, we are going to finish this race together. Somebody say, come on, victory this morning. That's what God has called us to do. You see, finishing is important. God has called us to finish. And God smiles at you at every stage of your development. If you stumble, God's not criticizing you. If you fail, God is not frowning at you. God knew what you were going to do the moment he saved you. Jesus is never ashamed of you. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is never ashamed of me. It's never. Even when you fail or even when you stumble, the major reason people don't become what God created them to be is shame. I just finished reading, and you'll hear about this more next year. I just finished reading through all the passages of Scripture that I could find on shame. And then I read several books by several psychologists on shame. And as I read that, I thought, how many times have I seen this in people's lives? They feel like God is ashamed of them. They feel like... Oh, Pastor, I just stumbled so badly. I've stumbled so many times. How could God ever forgive me or love me? Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 and read this out loud with me. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished. Now, remember, it's an ultramarathon. The Bible doesn't say he will continue it until you stumble. The Bible doesn't say he will continue it until you fail 70 times. He says seven times 70. That's another way of saying to infinity and beyond. He will continue his work until it's finally finished. Let's finish it. On the day when Christ Jesus returns. When our kids were little and playing soccer and some were more coordinated than others, we cheered them on. They stumbled, they failed, they met, we cheered them on. God's cheering you on every single step of the way. He's not ashamed of you. You made a bad shot, he's not ashamed of you. You lost focus for a moment, he's not ashamed of you. You see, God gave his son for you. Look at that cross. God gave Jesus for you. Look at me now. God put his spirit within you. That's God telling you how much you matter to him. And God said, I am going to adopt you and make you my son, make you my daughter. God is cheering you on. And what Philippians is telling us here is, 
that God says that what I don't finish, God will finish. What I don't finish, God will finish. Let me say it again. What I don't finish in my life, God will finish. And I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it. When I get to heaven, I am not going to walk into heaven pushing my bottom in a wheelbarrow. I'm going to walk in as a victor, as a child of God, because what God started in you and in me, he's going to finish it. Give him a hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Dear friends, look at with me at 1 John chapter 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, I run with purpose in every step. Look at it again. I run with purpose in every step. I want you to take every step from here on with purpose. The reason Paul says I run with purpose is because in this ultra marathon, there will be bumps, there will be stumps, there will be loose rock, there will be holes, and you've got to watch where you're going. Sometimes you don't know if you're going to live another day, especially if you're one of the modern-day martyrs. And I know you don't like to hear this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. In this life, sometimes we have to deny ourselves for the good of others. I don't get to do everything else that everybody else in the world does. I want to be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. The world is not my model. Hollywood is not my model. Politicians are not my model. Business people are not my model. Jesus Christ is the model that I want to be like. And there are times when we have to deny ourselves. So it's either God's plan or your plan. And if it's God's plan, you're going to be a victor. And if it's your plan, I promise you, you're going to lose. If it's God's plan, you will finish successfully. If, it God, if it's your plan, you'll never make it, with God or without God. Because sometimes you're going to feel like you're going through hell, but you keep going. Because sometimes you're going to stumble over a root or a stone or a hole in the ground that you didn't see. And every one of us, I don't know any Christian that's been living for a while, including myself, as Dan Allender wrote in that great book, Leading with a Limp, all of us have a limp somewhere in our life because life is challenging. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to go through these real quickly. Focus on one thing at the time. Focus on one thing. Ask yourself today, spend some time alone with the Lord before Monday gets here and you're doing whatever you have to do, what is one thing you could do to simplify your life, mentally, financially? What is something toxic you could remove from your life? Relationships, entertainment. Who encourages you and holds you accountable? Do you have a small group that believes in you and cheers you on? Maybe God wants you to start a small group. How intentional are you in choosing your friendships? Are you choosing friendships of people that will be like iron in your life, iron sharpening iron. People who want to love you and see you succeed. And then ask yourself this, who, what, where, 
when and how do I want to finish well with? It has been my joy It has been my real joy to be there with so many people from our congregation when they finish this life, they finish their race, and they breathe their very last breath. It's been my joy to sing with them, sing over them, pray with them, and then to be able to stand here in this pulpit or a funeral home and talk about their ultramarathon. And then if I've ever done funeral planning with you, you know I always ask. We want people to know we're being authentic, so let's don't gloss over. If there is a weakness or if there is something that you are comfortable with us sharing or you think your dad, and a lot of times people will write me and say, Pastor, share this at my funeral. And I'll say, this is what your dad or mom or your brother or sister asked me to share. And and then I follow that statement up. I said, you know, sometimes they had a problem with their temper. Sometimes they had a problem with workaholism. Sometimes they had a problem with prejudice, and they would repent. And they built good relationships, but in their hearts, they were always limping. They were struggling. But here's what I know today. What they did not finish, Christ finished for them. And now they stand as a champion in heaven. I'm your pastor. I love you. And I want you to finish well with total wonder at this life God has called us to. And I hope you still love me even though I preached seven minutes and 15 seconds longer than what I was allotted to preach this morning. If you forgive me, say amen. If you don't, you're going to hell, so you better forgive me. Stand with me this morning and let's pray together. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you with my whole heart. And Lord, as a limping pastor preaching to a limping church, we know we're going to finish this marathon well. We're in the moment, Jesus, with you. We're in the moment right now. Though hell all around us rages, Lord, though this world be tormented, as Martin Luther wrote in that beautiful hymn, though this world be filled with devils, we will not fear, for Christ has triumphed. We're in the moment with you right now. So I ask you to help us simplify focus, be determined to connect with others and finish this race well in the name of Jesus. And if there's anyone here or watching online that has never committed their life to you, then I pray that right now they'll just simply pray with me like this. And if that's you, just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, you gave Jesus to die for my sins. You offer me your Holy Spirit to live within me. And you say that you will adopt me as your son or your daughter. Oh, Lord, I receive that. Come into my life today. Forgive my sins. 
and give me a fresh start in life. For I want to finish this race to the glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. And if you prayed that, no one's looking around but me. No one at all looking around. Would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer with you this morning. If you prayed it online, let us know. Say, Pastor, I'm committing my life. God bless you. Someone else, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? I see. I love you so much. I prayed for you this week. God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? Well, let's give the Lord a hand of praise and thank Him. His grace is amazing. Now may the Lord who lives and moves among the church, and who is the light and the inspiration of the church, who is the shield and the bread of life and the gate to life, may he walk with you and may you live fully present and alive to Jesus Christ today. God bless you. Go in peace today.